Awesome. Thanks, Luke. Well, this morning, church, I have the absolute pleasure of closing our sermon series uh, called In the Beginning. Uh, and so you can go on ahead. We're going to come around the Word of God. You can go on ahead, take out your Bibles, take out your Bible apps. Uh, we're going to go straight to the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, as we come around your Word, I pray, God, that you would speak to us. I hide myself behind the cross this morning, God, because we don't want to be taught by human wisdom. We want to be taught by the Spirit of God. And so this morning, God, we open our ears, we open our hearts to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church this morning. We thank you, God, for your word, and we treasure it above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I'm going to be preaching from Genesis chapter 16, verse 7 to 14. And if you're wondering why on earth is there a board here, um, I'm quite a visual person. And so I thought, hey, there might be some visual people in our church. So I'm praying that this visual that I put on here will help you to understand a little bit better um, throughout the, the message. But I'm preaching from Genesis chapter 16, verse 7 to 14. I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you have time when you get home, go and read the entire chapter. There is so much that you can glean from this chapter. Now the angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, our Roy, which means you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Be'elahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Today's message is simply titled, He Sees. He Sees. Before we get into our text, it's always important that we lay some groundwork because I don't want us to get to the end of the message and then you walk out on here, of here absolutely confused because the preacher didn't do a good enough job unpacking the Word of God. But this groundwork is going to help us understand, get a deeper level of understanding as we unpack the Word. So here it is. In the beginning... God. I don't care what the scientists say. I don't care what the astrologers or astronomers say. In the beginning, God. God created all things. And God also created the earth that we live in. He created the world that, he, that we live in. He created all things. The world was in an absolute mess. And God stepped right in and brought order where there was chaos. God cares about the earth. But this God, He also created the first human beings, Adam and Eve, he created mankind in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. God cares about mankind. God created them to reign and rule and have dominion in the earth. God cares about mankind. He created them to connect with God. There was only one thing that God said to mankind not to do, and that was to not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mankind, however, chose to disobey God. And so because of their disobedience, sin entered the world. 
death entered the world. The reason that there is so much war, so much hate, so much sickness, so much disease, so much darkness in the world is because of the disobedience of mankind. But the good news is instead of just leaving mankind to die in sin and become disconnected with God forever, God comes up with a plan. God cares about mankind and God cares about the earth. God makes a way for man and the earth to be connected back to God. And so from Genesis all the way through to Revelations, we see the outworking of God's plan. But as part of God's plan to restore that which has been broken, God calls a man by the name of Abraham, also known as Abraham. Through Abraham and his family, the nation of Israel would be birthed. So this is part of God's plan. Old Testament Israel. Not only that, but then also God had this promised land that he was, he had prepared for the Israelites. Now, when we read the word of God and we read, it's always about the Israelites. It's always about the promised land. We read about that so much. And then we think, does God not care about what's happening over here? That's not true. God does care because he wouldn't have come up with the plan in the first place. And so it's important that we approach our text this morning with this understanding. I'm, not, I'm going to continue to refer to this image throughout the message this morning. But we pick up our, our story in Genesis 16. And we're introduced to a woman by the name of Hagar. Not much is said about Hagar in the text. All we know is that she was an Egyptian woman and that she was a maidservant to Sarai, Abraham's, Abraham's wife. In other words, Hagar is a slave. She's a nobody. She's overlooked. She's invisible. You're not supposed to notice Hagar when you go to Abraham and Sarai's home. She's just a nobody. The only reason that we hear about Hagar is because of Sarai's barrenness. It's been 10 years since Abraham and Sarai left their hometown to follow God's plan. It's been 10 years since God has told Abraham and Sarai that he was going to bless the nations through them. It's been 10 years since they've settled into the land of Canaan and they have not yet seen the fulfillment of God's plan that implies that they will have a child. And so Sarai, she becomes impatient. She's been waiting on God to provide for her a child. And I can just imagine Sarai saying, God, where is this child? God, have you forgotten about us? God, have you forgotten about the covenant that you made with us? God, you said that you would make us into a great nation. How when we don't have a child? And here's what the Bible says that she does. She goes to Abraham and she says this, Genesis 16 verse 2. So Sarai said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having a child. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. Let me ask you today, where in your life are you jumping ahead of God's plan? Where in your life are you growing weary in the waiting and so now you're choosing to take matters into your own hands? Where in your life are you growing impatient because God doesn't seem to be answering any of the requests that you've given Him? You see, so many times we become like Sarai. God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation and Sarai is caught up with the wind. God says, I'm going to bless the nations through you and Sarai is caught up in the how. You can't get caught up in the when and in the how because getting caught up in the when and the how is only going to lead you down a path that will ultimately have you saying, well, I guess I'm going to have to do this anyway. You see, in life, there are so many things that we hope for that don't just happen straight away. There are times when you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and you still don't get the job. 
There are times where you pray and pray and you still don't get healed. You pray and you pray and you still get your kids taken from you. You pray and you pray and you still go through a divorce. You pray and you pray and you still don't have enough money to get you through the next week. And so you wait. You wait for the doctor to come back with some good news. You wait for the job opportunity to arrive. You wait for that family member to encounter Jesus. You wait for your loved one to be healed. You wait. But don't be mistaken because we don't wait like the world waits. We don't wait with hopelessness. We don't wait with despair. We don't wait as if it's not going to happen. Romans 8.25 says, If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. NLT says, but if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Let me encourage you today, church. Don't jump ahead of God. Don't jump ahead of God. Write that down on your piece of paper. Note that down on your app. Don't jump ahead of God. Don't jump ahead of God's timing. Don't jump ahead of what God is doing. Don't jump ahead of God's will for your life. Just wait, man. Wait patiently. Wait eagerly. Wait with perseverance. Wait confidently. Wait trusting God. Because to jump ahead of God is to jump into a mess that God will probably have to fish you out of anyway. And so Sarai, Sarai chooses to jump in front of God's plan. And so Sarai is over here, right? Sarai. And Sarai jumps in front of God's plan and creates an issue here. Hagar. Hagar is outside of God's plan. But that's what happens when you jump in front of God's plan. You start to complicate things. It's getting a little bit complicated. Turn to the person next to you and say, just wait. (coughs) (laughs) You know, the story, the story goes on to say, uh, the story goes on to say that Abraham lay with Hagar and so she became pregnant. And when Hagar became pregnant, she began to treat Sarai with contempt. That means that Hagar is treating Sarai, her master, like she's worthless. She's treating her like she's nothing. And the Bible is silent on what actually happened, but I'm pretty sure that Hagar would have been up in that house like a boss. You know, I can just imagine Hagar looking at Sarai and saying, try me, Sarai. I am carrying your child. Can you imagine that? Hagar would have been like, call me a slave one more time, Sarai, and see what happens. Please do it. Tell me to sweep the floor one more time, Sarai. Tell me to wash the dishes one more time, Sarai. And this is the kind of thing that Proverbs talks about in chapter 30. Here's what it says. There are three things that make the earth tremble. No, four, it cannot endure. A slave who becomes a king, an overbearing fool who prospers, a bitter woman who finally gets a husband, a servant girl who supplants her mistress. The idea is that the earth trembles, the earth kind of holds its breath when someone who doesn't have the character, someone who's got a slave mentality, someone who is full of greed, someone who's full of vengeance is finally in a position of power. It's a scary thought. But in the context of our story today, it's what happens when we jump ahead of God's plan. We get into a mess and the Bible says that Sarai says to Abraham, this is your fault. Ain't it funny how it's always the husband's, sorry. Ain't it funny how? (laughs) Oh my God. Sorry. That's a a message for another day. Ain't it funny how we oftentimes blame others for the stuff that was actually our idea? And as I read that text, I thought, wait a minute, Sarai. 
So first of all, you want to be impatient, Sarai. And then you want to jump in front of God's plan. And then when your plan starts to go haywire, you blame somebody else. This was your idea though, Sarai. This was the fruit of your impatience. And so she's crying to Abraham and she's saying, you've done this. And Abraham replies and says, well, she's your maidservant. Deal to her however you want. And the Bible says, Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that Hagar ran away. And so now Hagar is on the run. She's running away from Sarai. She's running away from the situation. She's running away from the pain. She's running away from the problem. And the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of uh, water in the wilderness on the way to Shur. Let me ask you today, what are you running from? Perhaps just like Hagar, you're running away from problems that you're not prepared to confront. You're running away from situations that you don't want to deal with. You're running away from things that got too difficult. You're running away from past hurts because it was painful. You're running away from things that get uncomfortable. And you might say to me, I would rather run away than have to deal with it. So what do you do then when the problem you're running away from over here starts to appear over there? What do you do when you've uprooted your entire life to get away from the problem here and then you settle over there and it starts to pop up again? You see, running away may be easy, but it, is, it just won't solve your problems. And the truth is you cannot cure that which you are prepared to confront. You cannot spend the rest of your life constantly running from everything that gets uncomfortable. As soon as the job gets hard, you start running. As soon as the marriage got into some conflict, you started running. As soon as the business got too difficult for you, you started running. Let me encourage you this morning, stop running. It's time to stop running and face your problems. It's time to stop running and face your fears. It's time to stop running and face the thing that keeps you up at night because the danger of you constantly running and running is that the more that you run, the deeper and deeper you find yourself in the middle of the desert. And let me tell you, there is nothing for you in the desert. Nothing but emptiness, nothing but void, nothing but exhaustion, nothing but barrenness. And so to settle for the running, to settle for the desert is to settle for something less than you were created for. You weren't created for the desert. You weren't created for the wilderness. You were created for so much more than that. It's time for you to stop running. You've gone far enough. There's nothing in the desert for you. Stop running. If you keep on running, you'll never understand what you've got deep down inside of you. If you keep on running, you'll never discover your purpose. If you keep on running, you'll never find out who you are in God. If you keep on running, you'll always have low self-esteem. If you keep on running, you'll always be insecure. If you keep on running, you'll never become who God created you to be. Stop running. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied and said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress, and submit yourself under her hand. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. The angel of the Lord was letting Hagar know the place of her discomfort was going to be the place where she would experience expansion. That was a word for somebody this morning. It's time for you to stop running and face the discomfort. Because the place of your discomfort is going to be the place of your growth. The place of discomfort is going to be your place of refining. The place of your discomfort is going to be the place of your development. If your past is bringing you discomfort, then facing it and dealing with it means that you will experience freedom for the next season that you'll, of your life. 
If your anger is bringing you discomfort, then facing it means that you won't be controlled by it. If your pride is bringing you discomfort, then facing it means you won't be ruled by it. There is something that just happens when you turn around and face the thing that you've been running from. You come to realize that although it may be hard, although it may be difficult, although it may be challenging, but it's developing endurance. And this endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens this confident hope that we have of salvation. So might as well face it. Might as well turn around and face it. The angel prophesies to Hagar and says, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. If I can ask the band to join me on the stage. These are a lot in that particular verse, so that's a message for another day, but there's so much we could glean from that. But, you know, this story goes on to say that Hagar responds to what the angel is saying, and she says, Al Roy. Al Roy. Al Roy is a word you might not be familiar with, but it's a Hebrew word that means God sees me. God saw Hagar even when she was in the midst of the desert. God saw Hagar even when she was not part of his original plan. He saw her even when she was on the run. He saw her. For somebody who's never been saved, for somebody who's always been overlooked, for somebody who's never been regarded, for somebody who's never had a chance, for somebody who that everybody walked past, for somebody who never thought that their time would come, I came to let you know today that God sees you. I don't know about you, but there's a joy that bubbles up when I think about the fact that our Roy, God sees me. Hagar is in the desert. She hasn't even eaten yet. She's been on the run. She's been mistreated. She's been overlooked. And yet she's praising God just because he sees her. She said, Al Roy, Al Roy. Turn to the person next to you and say, Al Roy. Al Roy. Add that one to your notebook, Al Roy. Add that to your praise language, Al Roy. Devil, you can do whatever you want because Al Roy. Cancer, you can have my body but not my soul because Al Roy. I will not be a carcass in the desert because Al Roy. I will not come to a negative end because Al Roy. I will not die in the desert because Al Roy. Somebody's in the desert right now and the devil's been telling you, this is all that you are. This is what you deserve. This is all you're ever going to be. Where you are is as far as you're going to get. Your mother never got anywhere. Your father never got nowhere. And you're not going to get anywhere. But you ought to lift your hands and stick out your chest and say, Devil, Al Roy, God sees me. God sees right where I am. God sees right where I am. Right where I am right now. God knows what I'm going through. God sees how I feel. God sees what's happening in my life. God sees. That means that I must be somebody. Al Roy, I must have some value. Al Roy, I must have a purpose. Al Roy, I must be part of the plan. Al Roy, God sees me. Working a part-time job, but Al Roy. Flipping burgers at Mecca's, but Al Roy. <laughs> Living off of unemployment, but Al Roy. Body is wrapped with pain, but Al Roy. Working double shifts the last two weeks, but Al Roy. Husband walked out of the door, but Al Roy. Wife don't even care about you, but Al Roy. God sees you. He sees you. He sees what's in you. And He sees what you will be. Somebody say amen. I came to let you know today that just like He did with Hagar, 
God sees you too. But I'm outside of God's plan for me. He sees you. But I'm just a nobody. Yeah, He sees you. But I'm broken. He sees you. But I'm a wretched sinner. He sees you. But I don't have it all together like everybody else. He sees you. I don't even have money. He sees you. I don't have no titles to my name. He sees you. But I've made some horrible mistakes. He sees you. Do you know what it is to get God's attention? To know that God is mindful of me. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visited him? God sees you. Abraham may may not see you. Sarai may not see you. Your circumstance might not even honor you. But I'm telling you, God sees you. Al Roy, he is the God who sees me. The truth is, Old Testament Israel failed to stick to God's plan. Just like Sarai, they constantly jumped in front of God. They constantly turned away from God. They constantly questioned God's ability. They just could not trust that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And so from Genesis all the way through to Malachi, we see Israel's ongoing attempts to try and stick to God's plan. They ultimately end up in exile. And you would think that while they're in exile, their hearts would turn to God. They didn't. The long years of Israel's exile didn't even fundamentally change the hearts of the people towards God. They still rebel against God. The temple, symbolic of the place where they would meet with God, was so corrupt. And so the reader of the Bible is left wondering, is there any hope for all of humanity? Will the earth ever be reconnected to God? Will mankind ever be reconnected to God And so the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, it closes with the prophet Malachi announcing that the day of the Lord is coming. Malachi lets us know that there is a day coming where the Lord will come and sort everything out. God sees. He sees that the original human beings, Adam and Eve, jumped ahead of his plan and brought sin and death into the world. He sees that Sarai jumped ahead of his plan and created chaos with Hagar. He sees that Israel would constantly rebel against him and turn away. He sees that there could be no other way to redeem the earth, to redeem mankind. And so he saw fit to leave the splendor of heaven and come to find us in our desert. He saw it fit to pursue us even when we were dead in our sin. He saw it fit to step out of eternity and step into time so that we could be redeemed. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He loved the world. That includes you and me. He loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son He isn't just Elohim, the Creator God. He isn't just Al Shaddai, the Almighty God. He isn't just the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm telling you, He is Al Roy, the God who sees me. And you best believe that He sees you. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, that You are a God who sees us.